riches strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Let's sing now, Everlasting God. Please stand. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord.
ourselves to God. Let's prepare our hearts and mind for what is about to come. There's a baptism today. Amy here is about to make a profession of faith 
to this church that she is willing to be a disciple of Christ. She has come to surrender her life. So you can take this time. You can take this time to be pensive about the song or you can join us if you wish. The song is called, I Surrender. <laughs>
Yeah, sorry, good morning. good morning. Nice. Today we're going to be talking about the most famous, most well-known of Jesus' stories. The best known of his stories as we wrap up this series on his greatest stories. And in a couple minutes we're going to be doing this thing called a wet believer's baptism. We practice two things at Richview here if you didn't know that. We do what's called dry child dedications, and we do wet believers' baptisms. And in a moment, what that means is we, back in Jesus' day, one of the ways back then you would identify yourselves with a movement is you would be immersed in water. And if you think that's weird, some of you watch Catching Up with the Kardashians or still root for the Leafs. So we're all a little bit weird, okay? So... In a couple minutes, we're going to be doing that, and someone's going to be coming up behind there. They're going to be basically saying, this is why I'm a Jesus follower, and we're going to be taking that person because we believe the Bible teaches, and the best picture is by taking someone and baptizing them in water, fully immersing them, and we also think it's a great picture of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. 
And in a moment, you're going to see someone who's going to be taking their faith public because Jesus commands us to do that. Now, there's any of you here today, and you've been putting off believers' baptism because we believe it's something, it's a decision you make for yourself. Not something your parents did for you when you were a baby, but a decision you make for yourself as a follower of Jesus. I want to encourage you today to take that next step. Um, if you want to meet Pastor Jonathan, even in the foyer now or leave in a couple minutes, he'll be waiting there for you. All your excuses are gone today. We, we have shorts, t-shirts, perfume, you name it. We got it upstairs waiting for you, even towels, believe it or not. And if you're ready to take that step, I want to encourage you to head out to the foyer at any point um, during the, the teaching here. We'd love to set you up where you can rush up after when we're doing the baptisms. If God lays that in your heart, that's great. Uh, why don't I pray, and then let's embark on this great story. Heavenly Father, thank you for this text. Thank you that we can come together and celebrate you today. We can worship you today. We can come together and do this in freedom. God, we pray for Amy and this step of obedience that she has spent many years praying about and thinking about. And today she wants to take that public. And God, I pray for anyone else here. Um, who's been holding back, um, waiting for the day they're perfect, waiting for the day when they have everything figured out. And may they hear your words today that that day ain't coming, um, but you provided a way, and you provided a means, and you provided that perfect son. Uh, thank you, and thank you for the hope and the good news that we're about to hear. In your precious name, amen. Luke chapter 15, if you're uh, following along in your Bibles, Pew Bibles, if you're new to the Bible, the page we're turning to is page 1180. And it's Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Many of you probably know this off by heart. And Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger son said to his father, Father, Give me my share of the estate. In other words, Dad, hurry up and die. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. A better way to say that is he lived above his means. Can any of us relate to that as we looked at our MasterCard bill this past month? After he had spent everything... There was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to a census, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have have no food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants, your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick! 
Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He's lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. If you notice at the very beginning of the story, Jesus is speaking to a crowd. The crowd split into two audiences. One audience is sinners, tax collectors, people who are hearing this story, and they're actually hearing a story in a language they can understand, and they're following along. And, and Jesus is saying things that maybe they've never heard before, but they want to hear. You may be here today, and you're hearing what God wants you to hear. And then there's this other group here in this audience, and they're religious leaders. The text tells us they, they were muttering under their breath. They were there to listen, or they weren't so much there to listen, but to complain. And notice that Jesus is welcoming sinners and tax collectors, and a holy man would never do that. And to this day, some of us still get this wrong. We get this wrong. We think that Jesus came to start a denomination or a religious club. Uh, for moral, upright people who dress a certain way, get good grades, pay their taxes, and attend church at least once on a Sunday. Be prepared for what unfolds today in this story. Jesus tells three stories. I only read part of one, but he tells a story about a sheep, a coin, and sons. And it's brilliant. If people, the scholars, teachers have studied this story, they say it's one of the most magnificently crafted stories in history. And Jesus starts with a hundred sheep. And it's like this multitude where, where the shepherd then finds the one sheep, brings it back, and there's great joy. And then he, then he gets to a smaller, more intimate story between a woman and ten coins. She loses one. She finds that coin, and her and all her friends celebrate great joy, and then finally gets to two sons. And he says, there's joy in heaven when a lost sinner returns to the fold of God. And this is the third story. So it seems like if you were listening to the story, this first, this younger son, he's premeditated this event. Goes to his father, he says, dad, die. I want my inheritance. That's basically what he says. Give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. I'm not coming back. This is permanent. Luke, the writer, is very clear and even says, this guy takes everything he owns, and off he goes. He ain't coming back. And, and we read a little bit later, his plan ends in disaster. He lives above his means. Famine hits. He's in need. He's helpless. He's in total humiliation, feeding pigs, and right now, I just want to represent pig farmers. Nothing wrong with being a pig farmer. All right? We've got to defend the pig farmers out there. My favorite animal growing up was the pig on the farms I grew up with. I had a pet pig, a runt pig named Hammy. This is him. I stuffed him. Just kidding. <laughs> and, and I loved Hammy. I would go out every day. A couple times a day, we'd play. I'm not even making this up. Pigs are the best pets next to uh, Capaberry's best pets. And, and we would wrestle, play, frolic in the, in the, in the woods, good times. But, it, but my parents, for some reason, I was quite young at the time, for some reason they really liked dogs. And so at one point, um, our, the dog gave, I won't go too much in this story because it's rather devastating and it still brings back repressed memories for me. Uh, but at one point we had 13 dogs. 
and dogs love pigs. So I'll just leave that story right there. Um, but it probably explains me a little bit more to all of you about one, one thing I lost when I was a child. Anyhow, on to the story. Low point for this guy. He had, he'd come from this family of high standing. He's now feeding pigs. Nothing wrong with pig farming, but also the fact that he's Jewish. is quite the contrast, and he's hungry. In verse 17, it tells us he's homesick. So I think the summary of the story is a young man who is sick of home becomes homesick. The end. He had lost his wealth. He had lost his respect. He had self-respect. He lost his freedom. And, and then he recognizes his circumstances. And, and he starts thinking to himself, hey, hey, those guys who used to show up at my dad's door irregularly asking for work, they're living better than I am now. They're in better shape than I am now. And we read in verse 17, he says his father's name three times. And all of a sudden, he's driven back by the prospect. If I just go back to my father, there's a chance that'll take me in. What if there had been no father to return to? And I'm sure the audience is listening to this story. And hearing it, these sinners, these tax collectors. What if his father treated the son as he should be treated? Some of us know all about that kind of father or that kind of mother. They treated him like he deserved. What, tra- what kind of tragedy would it be? The son comes up to his father's home and his dad pulls out the shotgun and says, get out of here. Maybe reality for a lot of us. I'm sure those people who are, who are hearing that story, that son, he, his life's going to be, he's going to live a life of helplessness, hopelessness, humiliation. What if the consequences of sin, because his audience would have been thinking this, what if the consequences of sin were forever and there's no solution? What if there's no heavenly father for that boy, for that girl, for that child to return to unless he has a watching, waiting father? Is there any comfort in the story of sinners if the sinner wants to come home? And I'm sure the audience was thinking, how's this story going to end? How's this story going to end? Are we unforgivable? Why do so many of us, especially when we look around the world around us, have angst and discontentment and worry and fear? And Jesus captures it brilliantly in this story. The real breakdown in the story was not that the son lived above his means, was not that his friends abandoned him, was not that a famine had come throughout the whole land. The real breakdown was the loss of his relationship with his father. That he had cut off his father, slammed the door in his father's face, and told him to stick it. And one of the errors you and I make daily is that we turn to sociologists and psychologists and TV shows and relationship TV shows and and the media, and we go there because these people are seemingly in, in, in the know, and they explain to us why there's so many predicaments and dilemmas on this horizontal plane. 
and, and they, they unpack, and then you start to think, the reason why I am is because of something that happened in my past, where I, I, I lost my hope, and, and, and I, what, I, 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 I didn't have fulfillment of my dreams, and the Bible comes along, and it says, no. And it says no to that. The reason for these horizontal dilemmas and, and these issues and the foundation of all these dilemmas in our relationships and our life is because of a disruption in the vertical plane. And it's because you've lost the most stabilizing influence in this plane, your relationship with the Father. That little rudder that, stirs, steer, that steers the ship, that little, that little dumb little tail thing on the end of a helicopter that you think you can get through life without, of, without them, you just go into a tailspin. And the Bible says what's happened in our lives is that the God, the Father, for whom we have a relationship with originally, we have severed that relationship. Therefore, all our relationships and everything are fractured on this plane. And so Jesus is telling this story. And imagine how this audience would have handled it. There's this young man who goes and eats pig food. Pig food? Why would he do that? Who would eat pig food? Is it so possible you could be so hungry that you might consider it? I mean, he had this physical loneliness, even with money and, and his friends gone. It shows his real, real aloneness. And his real aloneness is not the absence of friends, not the absence of wealth, not, not that his circumstances turning sour. His real aloneness is because he told his father to shove it. I mean, this was supposed to be fantastic, and we all think this way. You know, I, you know, I started off with marijuana, but it's not fulfilling enough, so I need to move on to heroin. But heroin's not fulfilling enough, so I need to move on to cocaine. Or, or maybe it's I started with internet porn, and all it did was make me more angry and frustrated, so then I turned to strip clubs, and then I went from strip clubs to just meetups, because that was going to be more fulfilling. And, and the devil's story always is, there's always one better fix. The grass is always greener on the other side. There's always one better party. Uh, there's always one more buck to be made. We all hear this. We know this. And the reason you may feel the way you feel is because the world's told you you haven't quite got your fix yet. Just keep climbing. Just, you'll get to it. You can get to it. You'll get there. It's over there where lostness can be found. And you can be surrounded. I know for some of you, you're surrounded by family and friends and you're the loneliest, loneliness you've ever been. And nobody knows how you feel. You're amazed at the things you contemplate. You're, like you're driving along the road. Tell me if anyone have ever thought this one. You don't have to put your hand up. But you're driving along the road and, uh, man, what if I just pulled off and turned off this bridge? Or, or, or your child or family member is doing so well and you're like, oh, who cares? And like the story and the relationship with the father, we closed the door and said, stick it. And so this, this son, he's in a predicament. And the text tells us he came to himself. 
we need to be men and women who come to ourselves. Verse 20, it tells us he got up and he went to his father. And he starts working out what he's going to say. He's working on his Oscar speech. And his father sees him from a long way off. Why was his father looking for him? Because he wanted to find him. And even though that boy had turned his back on him, even though he had shamed the family name, that father still watched. He sat on that porch or whatever they had back then, and he looked out. Let us beware of the kind of love that says, if you love me like this, then I'll love you like that. If you hold me like this, then I'll hold you like that. We've all learned this. We hear it sung. We see it shoved in our faces that we have to earn favor and we have to do certain things in order to get love. We have to stay up to snuff to be loved. You do this, I'll do this. And the Father watches for him every day and the text tells us what did he do when he saw his son? He ran to him. The moment he saw him, he ran to him. Off down the road, you know, Clampett goes running down to meet his son. Totally shaming how an older patriarch would have, would have been in that society. Quite undignified, I must say. And he takes off the moment he sees his son. He throws his arm around him. In the Greek, I love how the Greek translates what he does. The Greek says, and he fell on his neck. I love that picture, like all his weight on him. There's all, there's all sorts of different types of hugs out there. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like when I was a youth pastor, I would always coach the guys. Guys, when it comes to girls, never let the planes touch the mountains. <laughs> and, 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 and you get this picture, very inappropriate, but he throws his arms around his son. He hugs him. He kisses him. He falls on his neck. He, the love of the Father. Have you met that God? Irrespective of the degree of or level of our understanding, all of us here, everywhere, have turned our backs on God. We've walked out the door and told them to get lost. And some of us actually think we're doing a favor when we show up in God's house every once in a while. We're doing him some kind of favor. Hey, God, God, don't, don't call me, I'll call you. And that's kind of like the extent of our relationship with him. We've never actually felt his arms wrapped around us. And that's why you remain unchanged, unmoved, unchristian today. Not because of God the Father, but in our pride, we are unprepared to say, I have sinned against heaven I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And that father, he ran, he saw, he fell on his neck, he hugged, he kissed, he was filled with compassion. I, I'm sure if you had squeezed that father, compassion would have just oozed out of him. Just like when you grab a really full shampoo bottle, out comes shampoo. You ever squeeze someone who's bitter? What comes out? Not shampoo. Bitterness. 
This dad gets squeezed. Out comes compassion. The son doesn't even get to finish his Oscar-prepared speech. Dad then throws a party. Since we're doing that, hey, can I invite the band up? Come on up. You got this son who comes back like a bum. And dad says, let's throw a party. I've often wondered that if the father actually smelt his son before he actually saw him. I mean, the guy had been working with pigs. And he comes back. I don't know about you, but what do I have to do in order to get a party? What do I have to do to get my feet fitted with peace, a robe of righteousness? Tell me what to do. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Come on, Joe, walk me through this. What did you do to get a party thrown for you? Well, I came up the road, and I had this speech rehearsed about how I wanted my dad to hire me as one of his hired servants, and, and, and I come up, and, I, and, and then before I can get my speech out of my mouth, he's kissing me and hugging me and holding me far more inappropriately than our synagogue leader said we should ever do with the opposite sex, and he falls, falls on my neck, and we, we got this celebration going on that would knock your socks off. And all I had to do was acknowledge that I was a mess, and I couldn't fix it on my own. What's Jesus getting at here? That although we have ruined our relationship with him, apparently it can be set right when we come to our senses. Have you come to your, please come to your senses today. For some of us, we come to our senses when we lose a job, maybe when a child comes, maybe with a move. Unfortunately, I think for a lot of us, it takes a lot of pain and disease. Have you come to your senses? Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. And, and when we make our way back to him, it, it's, we're not going to be shamed. We're not going to be one of his hired servants. We're going to be welcomed back as sons and daughters in the house of God. Can I get an amen? Have you been gathered up into the embrace of God? Have you come to him and said, God, I am more messed up than I could ever imagine, and I, and, and I want to admit it, and I want to be discovered and loved by you and Jesus, and I ask you, God, Father, to forgive me for slamming the door. I want to simply acknowledge that I need your hug, your embrace, and the warmth of your welcome. Let's pray. God, I pray for anyone here today in that most simple and brilliant of stories recognizes that they're that son, they're that daughter, and that things on this plane ain't good because we've turned our backs on you. And I pray for any one of them. Um, all they have to bring to you is nothing. 
and they can experience your salvation. They can experience your peace. They can experience your comfort. They can experience your warm embrace right here, right now in this moment. And all they have to bring is nothing. God, we've all sinned against you, against heaven. And we're not worthy of this. We're not worthy of this honor. We're not worthy of this party. We're not worthy to be, worthy of, to be your sons and daughters, your children. But you're waiting and you're longing for us to return with arms wide open. And God, I pray for anyone here who has not experienced your, your embrace, felt your love, heard your whisper. God, right now, I pray they would pray this prayer with me if they're ready and willing Heavenly Father, I come to you knowing that I've fallen short, that I've slammed the door in your face. I'm no longer worthy to be your son or daughter, but thank you for providing the ultimate sin forgiver, Jesus. I pray, God, you would begin a new work in me today. I bring nothing. And I acknowledge that you're God. My sin forgiver. And my Father. Please embrace me. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. That prayer today, can I, can I invite you after the service, maybe grab me, maybe grab one of our elders or deacons. We'd love to celebrate with you. We need just some spontaneous parties breaking out everywhere. In a, just a moment, we're going to respond by singing and then celebrating someone taking that step of faith. And like I said, there's lots of room in the tub upstairs. <laughs> Please stand now as we sing, come to Jesus. <laughs> Yes, we pray. 
as the offering and come to Jesus hope that frees us life that breathes in us come to Jesus and believe that he is love oh God oh God welcome poor the rich man leper hungry Hi, my name is Amy Lorena Mihalichenko, and I'm a Christian. I currently go to Trenton University in Peterborough, and whenever I come down from Peterborough, I always try to come to Richview uh, for church because I just love the atmosphere here. I love going. My parents didn't choose the Christian life for me. They may have brought me up to know God and know who Jesus is, and they may have taken me to church and you know, all that stuff, but they didn't choose this life for me. I chose it for myself. I always felt this connection with God, and I always knew that Jesus was his son, and I always felt comfort whenever I thought about them. Even through the tough times, I, I, still, felt, I still felt God's presence. I still felt him in my life, and I always prayed at night, and I always knew he was out there, but... You know, as a, as a kid, I was, uh, I developed and grew in my faith as much as I could, you know, as much as a, a child could. But eventually, eventually I didn't, I wasn't growing as much as 
I should have, you know, as I got older, I wasn't, I, I kind of stopped that growth, that growth, the growth just stopped. And, but the faith, the faith was still there. I went to youth group and I was learning, but sometimes I felt like a really strong connection with God. And then sometimes it was just lukewarm, you know, most of the time it was lukewarm. I always knew he was there, but I don't know, just things happen. I knew that Jesus died on the cross to save me and my family and, and to save you. And I knew that he was there protecting me and my family and keeping us safe from harm. Love and forgiveness and a lot of patience. And he's still showing that patience now. And I knew that in those small moments of doubts that I had, you know, they would last for five seconds, but it'd be, I would think like, what if, He's not real. What if he's not there? Like, I know I overcame those moments, but I know he was always there just forgiving me for having those thoughts. Knowing that I was a Christian, and despite me believing in God, it, it still took me 20 years to decide to get baptized. Was, you know, I just never, I never felt ready or good enough for God. I decided to wait because I thought there would be a point in my life where I could be more dedicated and I would feel more ready and I would feel like I deserve his love and his forgiveness and all the things that his son did for us. But I'll never, I'll never ever deserve anything that God gives us. I'll never deserve any of the blessings he gives us or his love, his forgiveness for my sins. I'll never deserve that. We'll never deserve that. None of us deserve what God gives us, but he gives it to us anyways. He loves us. We're his children. And it's a, I think for me, it's a big thing to realize that, you know, before I thought I would, I would be able to be ready. I would be ready. But now, it's, now I know like I'll never be ready and I'll never feel like I deserve anything because I don't. And this baptism, this step I'm, I'm taking, it's, it's not because I feel any more deserving than I did a month ago. It's because I, I have realized that I'm not perfect and God doesn't care and He loves me anyways. And He wants me to be His child and He wants me to be a part of His kingdom. And I finally realized that. And I'm so happy that I will be getting baptized today. It was really hard for me to talk to people about my life, about things going on in my life. Um, even now, I still struggle with it. I, I'm not that comfortable with talking about stuff, even with people I'm close with. But like once you once you take that step, once you uh, once you reach out to somebody and you talk to them and you get advice for them, or you just get compassion from them. Like, it makes a huge difference. It, it takes this huge weight off your shoulder. I used to say that I didn't need anyone. I had friends from high school, from elementary school that I still talk to, from, from this church that I talk to. And, but I never, I never really talked to anybody about my struggles and about my life, and I never really opened up. And that's... That's why I always used to say I didn't need anybody because 
I was fine. I thought I was fine with just keeping everything in and not talking to anybody. But that, that really hurt my faith. It really hurt my growth in my faith. And once I started to talk to people and once I started to feel freer, and I, I started to grow in my faith and that's why I'm here today. When tough times come our way, I've noticed that some people just, like they walk away from God. And I think that's the biggest mistake you can make in your life. Because with God, there's like, there's hope and there's, there's peace, you know, even through hard times where most of the time you don't feel any peace. When you think about God, it gives you peace. And I'm happy to say that this, this broken person has chosen God as her, as her savior, has chosen God as her mender. I've chosen God in my life and I'm sticking with him. Amy, you probably heard a few words from her, and Amy has a couple people who are going to read some promises to her today. Uh, dear Amy, we're so proud of you today for taking this step. I want to say that I am proud of you. Our promise to you comes from Proverbs 3, 5, 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will, take, he will make your path straight. I love you. Thank you. So uh, <laughs> I didn't even know that she was going to get baptized till today. She just gave me a letter. And uh, thanks, Amy. Um, so my promise comes to you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all the joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amy, based on your confession of faith and your desire to walk in obedience, I now baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, 